Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode number 47, Spiritual Friendships. Yes, welcome. My name is Lori Krieg. I'm here with my husband, Matt. Hello. And producer, Steve. Nice to see you. Hey, there you go. There's a new one. Uh, And I'm going to introduce our guest in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanted to give a shout out to all y'all listeners who we love so much. Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for sharing this podcast. And thanks for just writing in when a podcast like hits your heart or something like that. I actually wanted to share a note I got from a listener this week from a man named Foy. And he said, I just discovered your ministry through your recent interview with Bridget. So Bridget Eileen was on a couple podcasts ago, mm-hmm. yep. uh, a couple episodes. And he said, I am now binge listening from the beginning, which still blows my mind that people <laughs> binge this podcast, but it means a lot. And he said, thanks for y'all's vulnerability. And that's his word, not mine, even though I use it, even though I'm from Michigan, just mm-hmm. deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a 52-year-old straight man married over 30 years, I'm learning new insights about Jesus, sex, and sexuality, and myself with every episode that's crazy list. One thing, though, I am finding it dangerous to listen while riding my bike or driving, because at some point in the podcast, I will invariably go instantly nearly blind from teary eyes. Mm. It's usually just a single sentence that catches me completely off guard and pierces my soul. Obviously, that is a compliment, not a criticism. So thanks, Foy. And thank you for those of you who have been listening and for just... um, I don't know. It's such a this whole podcast has been such a risk in just every episode where we get to meet these incredible, amazing people, which would include our guest today, which is Dr. Wesley Hill. Wes, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be on the podcast. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. And where are you calling from today? So I'm calling from my house in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is just outside Pittsburgh. Um, there's a seminary here where I teach, and I've I've lived here for six years now. So. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm calling from. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So that school, I did a little research on you. It's Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which I'm glad you said it because I was like, oh, Cambridge minus the C. <laughs> <Right. laughs> and you've written a few books, um, two of which I'm pretty sure our listeners, depending on how new you are to this conversation, uh, but I'm guessing you will have heard of or read, which would be Washed and Waiting and Spiritual Friendships. Um, Wesley, did you start the Fear- Spiritual Friendships blog? Was that you? So I, I helped start it. Um, okay. Ron Belgal and I had a vision for it um, even before we went public with it. It was originally a kind of private uh, blog that we would invite people to um, take part in. Yeah. And we just hmm. kind of hosted conversations. But um, yeah, we eventually made it a public website and we've been really gratified uh, to see the responses to it. So yeah. so we're the, we're the co-founders. Oh, that's so great. Very cool. Um, washed and waiting. That's one I often recommend to my straight friends who are trying to get woke, so to speak, <laughs> into this conversation. I'm like, if you want to understand some of the plight that we walk through, it's really, I think it's good for people to understand like, okay, here's some of the pain and the grit and the beauty within that. Um, and then spiritual friendships, which is kind of where we're going to land the plane and continue the ongoing conversation we've had here on the podcast, which is just this friendship necessity in the church. And I, we've so loved having different angles, different people talking about it. And we're really excited to dive into it with you. But that spiritual friendships book is um, just really helpful for anyone who is a human Christian. But um, Wes, when I emailed you just asking you to be on this podcast, I just referred to you as our our big brother in this conversation, <laughs> which I don't know if you get that a lot, but that just, it seems well, like that's I mean, how you I'm- are. 
Yeah, I'm gratified to hear that. I'm, I'm honored. I mean, I, I do feel in some strange way like God has allowed me to play a role in basically promoting the idea of celibacy at a time where it really was hard to find right. evangelical Christian books that were even entertaining that as an yeah. option for people with same-sex attraction. So, um, you know, I think it could have very easily been someone else, but kind of in God's in God's providence, it ended up being me that, that yeah. kind of about that at a time where it, it seemed like it was hard to, to find that conversation happening. Yeah, and it's I know it's been so critical. I hear, especially gay celibate men or same-sex attracted, however they identify, whatever, right. insert right. eye roll. Um, sorry, I know it's very important for some people, but I'm over the fight. Uh, but I, they just like, they have tears in their eyes when they talk about reading your book because it really, especially Washington Waiting, because it really just helped them feel seen and known and understood and like, oh my word, like a breath of fresh air going into their lungs because they're like, okay, this is possible. Yeah. Well, gosh, I, I feel very honored to think about that. I mean, as you know, like when you're writing something, you're sitting at your computer and you're wondering, yeah. is this just a message in a bottle thrown into the ocean? Like, right. is it actually going to find its way to anyone? And, and to think that there are readers that have actually resonated with it has been uh, pretty amazing for me. So um, I've, I've gotten those letters too, and they, they help keep me going. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Which, speaking of, we are going to go to our question of the week from last week, which I posed to y'all on Facebook and Twitter. And thank you so much for your responses. Um, but a lot of us, including yourself, Wes, uh, take hits from the world, um, even in that where I said insert eye roll over the gay versus same sex <laughs> attracted debate. Um, yes. We get hits from the world and, and it is painful. And then we have to like go away from the Internet or go away from work and then process that. So I'm just curious, uh, how do you guys process that? Um, and Wes, maybe we'll start with you and then Matt and Steve, if you can just, if there was a listener who you really appreciated their feedback mm -hmm. and then your thoughts as well. So Wes, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I feel like this summer uh, with all the controversies swirling around the revoice conference, I have not done the best job of, of processing it. To be honest, I, yeah. I've been online too much. I think, mm. um, it's very easy to kind of get sucked into an internet rabbit hole where you're you're clicking on links and you're 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 reading criticism that isn't really actually doing you a lot of good. I mean right. I, I really do believe in listening to our critics and mm -hmm. learning from them. But some of the internet conversations are just so fruitless, I think. Um mm -hmm. you know, particularly in comment threads. <laughs> oh don't even just walk away. Shut the yeah. laptop. But yeah. I, I, I do think it's really important to have Sabbath times, you know, from, mm -hmm. from technology, from the internet, from, um, this conversation, yeah. um, I'm trying to, to learn to do better at that. I have a really awesome spiritual director who, uh, points me in, in good directions in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's really important as well to just have your sounding boards that, you know, will speak honestly to you. And yes. if they bring a criticism to me, I know that I need to take that and, and pray about it and, and think about it and ponder it. Um, and that's very different than listening to an internet mob, uh, yeah. which may or may not almost always is not helpful, but right. you know, finding those, those faithful friends mm -hmm. whose, whose wounds you can receive as faithful wounds. Um, I think that takes the sting out of a lot of the more anonymous criticism that you encounter, you know, on the internet. Right. Because um, literally yeah. the internet and your close friend who, you know, loves you and would take a bullet for you could say the same sentence and it'd be like yes. completely different because <laughs> yes. you yes. actually see them and you know, yeah. they love you. 
and that critic that you trust can actually filter criticism as well yeah. and say, hey, this 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 might be something worth considering, whereas they might say this other criticism that is getting all the attention on the internet mm-hmm. is actually not really valuable to you. Yeah. And so that, that, that filtering function of a faithful friend is something I've come to rely on a lot too. Hmm. I love it. Matt, Steve, mm-hmm. any listener responses that hit your mind and heart? Yeah. yeah there was, there was a listener um, named Amy who, who responded. I really resonated with what she said. She said, I usually spend some time telling Jesus about it. So lament, mm-hmm. we've talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit. And then I find friends to hang out with who are good at reminding me that I have worth and dignity and that those things don't come from the world or what I do or don't do. And so I just really resonated with that. The fact that our worth is coming from God and that it's not based on what we do. For me personally, I think that the way that I recharge, well, one of them is not spending a whole lot of time on the internet because limiting the amount of hits you take is, is actually pretty helpful. Um, but then, you know, we have our, our small group and the group of guys that we meet with and that, I mean, well, we've been going through something in the Krieg household recently, dealing with some hard stuff with my mom's health and, and everything. And every single one of the guys in our small group was able to reach out to me while I was driving down to my parents' house and just said prayers for me and, and said they were thinking about me and said they were lifting me up and not just me, but my whole family. And so it was, it was good to know that I'm supported. Mm. Uh, I really liked what Cece said in response to the question. Uh, She said, own the hit first, recognize the pain uh, and then uh, share it with someone I trust. And then she says that uh, she'll pray and speak truth over herself. Um, But I I don't know, like just that idea that just acknowledging, yeah, that hurt, Mm -hmm. you know, not minimizing that, but actually allowing yourself to kind of feel it and recognize it so that, you know, in that lamenting process, you know, really what it is that you are lamenting, you know? So Mm -hmm. I thought that was really great. Um, and it was right to the point. Um, and then, like you said, Matt, opening it up, to somebody else, somebody that you trust, mm-hmm. uh, and definitely bringing the Lord into it in prayer. So, um, and I, and I would say for me, my tendency is to minimize and to not mm-hmm. recognize and just kind of deny that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just a good reminder for me to go ahead and feel that. Um, and then you have something that the Lord can come into mm-hmm. and, and speak to. Yeah. That resonates with me as well. Just recognizing that pain. Um, my friend Missy posted something, uh, and it was an article that I will repost for you all, but just like, just, it's like processing your pain in an era of Trump and terror, which whatever, however you feel about Trump, we can all agree that our nation is, feels very divided, um, no matter what. But she, this author said, the beautiful thing about our current blatantly unjust political climate is that it is a holy ground for this type of spiritual formation. We are formed, fortified, and even reborn in the liminal spaces and during the shadowy times. As Clarissa Pincola Estes so beautifully says, like Mary, we often give birth in the middle of nowhere, unaccompanied with the most meager of circumstances to the God of love. And so it's basically just that furnace of suffering that this terrible season can be such a beautiful time of just staring at God and only his eyes instead of the burning that's happening all around us and get really gritty, get really strong in the midst of this. And there, you know, we know in this sexuality conversation that just makes people so bananas uh, that we can either join in making banana splits (laughs) or we can stare at Jesus face and be like, okay, can you feel this with me? And do you love me? 
Um, which is something I try to do in my, in my best moments of my best days. And usually in the moment, I kind of just hold the pain. And then when I can process it, cause usually it's like something else is happening. You're doing like 25 things at the same time, but ideally in the morning I'll process it and hopefully cry over it. And then maybe run, which is always good for the old brain and then drink a glass of wine later. So there's that. Goofball Island. And Steve, I dig it. I dig the new sound. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. And the vehicle we are taking is actually three. It is a bike, your sinewy arms, and your gangly legs. So, good job. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, Steve. I throw the worst things at you. Okay, the game is, and of course it's a secret game, of course Steve Mm. and Wes and Matt know nothing about it, is try your own triathlon. And we know traditional triathlons, but what about these? Which would you try? So, I'm going to give you four different triathlons. Matt, no, it's not the game you thought it was. (laughs) I don't get to make up my own triathlon with extreme sleeping and (laughs) dad jokes. Okay, where did this idea come from? Because I took the idea that you stole from someone else and I stole it from you and I made at this so what did you steal from i should credit um, yeah i think honestly i think it was what the mike and mike morning show on ESPN okay so radio. thanks espn radio that i never listen to except when i'm changing the channel from when matt's in the car uh okay we stole this from you and matt digested it and then i ate what he ew okay <laughs> <laughs> baby birded <laughs> has just gone to a weird place and we haven't even started the game okay (laughs) okay number one you guys might need to take notes is the toddler try now number one tricycle racing so you're on an actual tricycle first one around the block without tipping over or putting your foot down okay oreo eating one whole sleeve the fastest and the third round of this is toilet paper unrolling how many whole toilet paper rolls can you unroll in five minutes okay That's triathlon number one. You just have to pick which one you would want to do. Okay. Okay. Number two, the stomach pumper try. Chipotle burrito eating. Eat two whole ones with guac to move on. Now, my brother John says he could do this no problem. I think that you'd be dead after two. Do you guys, come on, two whole ones? They're like five pounds each. Matt, your face is unflinching. You think you could do that? Um. When I was younger, I feel like I yeah. could. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you were heartburned last night. Yeah, you are I was, old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, so Chipotle burrito eating, you have to do two. Second one is bacon eating. Once you get the meat sweats, you can move forward. So someone will come by with like a communion cup and like <laughs> test your Co- sweat. Collect your sweat to see if I there's enough meat that, content. That's good. Yeah, okay. And oh, then boy. the last part is ghost pepper tongue. How long can you have a section of ghost pepper on your tongue? Ready? Christian millennial nerd trivia try. Star Wars trivia, blah, blah, I roll. Steve and Matt love it. Wes, are you Star Wars cray cray? So I enjoy it. I would yeah. not call myself a diehard fan. Okay. And my friends who are would confirm that with you. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. Then church trivia, which maybe would be more what you could answer, uh, Dr. Hill. Um, it's like Bible drill slash Awana for adults. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. And then, yes. And then Harry Potter trivia, all the HP things. The bonus round is Enneagram trivia. So this is for the millennial nerd. Mm. Do you know Harry Potter, Wes? 
I love Harry Potter. Okay. I'm okay. We were all holding our breath because we were about to push and call if you did not say yes. No, I love Harry Potter. Okay, good. Last one. I know there's four. I should do three. I couldn't stop. This last one is we like sports and we don't care who knows. Try. We like sports and we don't care who knows. I'm shooting hoops to the like the theme music. If you remember that YouTube video, you're going to have to play some of that. Okay. Lonely Island. Ultimate Frisbee. Be the VIP on the winning team. Second one is croquet. Just try and remember how to play when you learned it that one time with those one people you played with. You know you did. <laughs> the last one is skip it. Do you remember skip it from the 90s with the ball? The little the thing you would put around your leg and yes. you know, oh, it would spin yes. around and you'd you have, have to, to hop your it, one leg over skip it. Skip it. That's yeah. also going to need to be yeah. a sound. Okay. <laughs> or choose your own adventure. Try. So you can pick three of any of the ones that I've said. So, Matt, what are you doing? Oh, boy. Um definitely the Harry Potter slash Star Wars trivia. Okay. Are you doing choose your own adventure? Obviously. All right. Go ahead. Um, Ultimate Frisbee would have to be one. Okay. And you are really good at it. Sorry. <laughs> Shut <say> sorry. No. <laughs> and then just for fun, I would like to see how many rolls of toilet paper I could unroll in five <laughs> minutes. Do you get jealous of our daughters when Sometimes do that? I'm like, yeah. I understand this is fun for you, but I hate having to clean it up. <laughs> then you try and put it back and it's only this wompy fluff bubble. Yeah. Well, side note, the first time in a long time that our toilets got clogged this week Uh-oh. was because yeah. Juliet... Our yeah, daughter whole shoved like a whole roll. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't paying attention hard enough and she was upstairs by herself for like a minute and I go in and there's like a toilet paper roll and a half mm-hmm. in the toilet. And I'm like, you just try and flush it. Cause she did that to me too. And I just shoved my hand right in that mess. Yeah, no, I tried to clean it out, <laughs> but some of it was like in disintegration mode. Anyway. Yeah, we are going to need mm. an explicit. Okay. Pardon guys. We won't do any more potty talk. Okay. <laughs> Wes, let's take it to you. What are you going to do? Well, Gosh, I feel like mine is already stolen. I want to try the toilet paper challenge as well. Okay. And part of the reason is I currently share a house with a couple and their daughter, who's my goddaughter. She's turning two later this month. There you go. She has impressed me with how quickly a roll of toilet paper right? can be unspooled. Yeah. So I feel like this could be a really interesting challenge. <laughs> yeah, you want to try it. You're like, oh, I roll. But well, then you're like, can I roll? <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> I nice. just did that. That was a good point. Anyway. Wow. And what's sad is that we would probably all lose to a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. What else would you do, Wes? Well, I feel like I'm coming on the podcast as someone who wrote a book about friendship. Yes. I have to say that one of the most beautiful portrayals of friendship that I've read is the Ron, Harry and Hermione friendship. And I, I feel like I'd want to, I'd want to go for that. And sorry, I'm stealing Matt's ideas, but everyone wants to be Matt's best friend and it's fine. You can be (laughs) just join the club. (laughs) To be honest, I'm blanking on, on the other, on the other options. Why? Uh, They're so beautiful and easy. I, first time I had a Chipotle burrito, um, I swore that I would always have to get the bowl, uh, instead. It was just like impossible to finish. So, uh, I can't, I can't do that one. I know the tortilla Um, has got to be at least a thousand calories alone, right? Exactly. Right. Four trillion carbs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thanks for playing the game, Steve. Okay. Uh, what was the, the second event in the toddler one? Uh, Oreo eating. So it's just a sleeve. But yeah. the fastest, you got to cram that puppy down. Your teeth are going to be black and white. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to just do the entire 
millennial trivia what you're diving in yeah diving in star wars church harry potter bonus round enneagram you probably could you could just i'm not a millennial yeah but you know are you sure i must be millennial (laughs) at heart or something (laughs) i don't know i mean star wars that goes now granted i would be much better at the original trilogy trivia Mm -hmm. than the prequels and definitely better than the disney ones oh yeah uh but harry potter i'm all in Mm. i went to christian school so Mm -hmm. you know the church trivia the awana stuff totally Mm. what was the bonus round Enneagram. Oh, right. If I can phone a friend and it's my wife, then yes. I'm good. And then just as kind of like a, because I completed that triathlon, yeah. maybe I can just bring the Chipotle burrito home like in a to-go thing. <laughs> both a, of them. Both of them, sure. <laughs> One goes in the fridge. Have a week's worth of food. <laughs> <laughs> right. And maybe the Oreo sleeve too. Oh, yeah. There you go. I would for sure try the toddler try tricycle racing oreo eating (laughs) toilet paper it just sounds fun oh yeah yeah. all right thanks for playing my games guys (laughs) we do want to hear which triathlon are you doing i just said i want to try the toddler try oh you did say that i wasn't paying attention i was actually picturing what it would be like to do the gallon milk challenge but with an entire sleeve of oreos in the milk (laughs) oh my so it's basically like a flurry it would be delicious yeah Anyway. Do it. <laughs> and we lost Matt, guys. All right. <laughs> Welcome back. So the reason that we do this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. And so we ask this question of all of our guests. Uh, so Wes, this would be for you. And I'm really excited to hear this. Just how was the gospel first good news for you? And how is it still good news? Hmm. My understanding of the gospel is that it is God giving his life away for his wayward, rebellious creatures. Mm -hmm. So rather than live without us, he took on our waywardness himself. Uh, In Jesus Christ, he bore our guilt. He bore our shame. He bore our sin. He bore it away Mm -hmm. on the cross. And he now lives totally for us. Um, I love those verses at the end of Romans 8, where Paul yes. says, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that, that idea of God being for us, he is not opposed to us. He is not um, dangling a sword of judgment over our heads. He is for us in mm-hmm. Christ. And uh, that to me is is the heart of the gospel. Um, we, we receive that by faith. It's not owing to anything we are, because everything we, we are is, is wayward. Everything we are is bent away from God. And so the only way that we come into friendship with him, the only way that we have life uh, through the Holy Spirit is, is through God's own initiative towards us. And, um, you know, for someone who feels that our hearts are prone to wander, I mean, I feel that very much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's massively good news that it doesn't depend upon me to, to sort of reorder my own heart. God is, God is for me. God is pursuing me in Jesus Christ. And he has, uh, taken away my, my sin on the cross. And he's, he's given me a free gift of his favor. Um, and I, I, you know, that's, that's really the the anchor point for me. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what makes the gospel good. Uh, that's what makes it good news. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where I, I hang my hat, so to speak. I love it. Was there a time in your life? I mean, cause, cause obviously, yeah, like the gospel being, God taking our place and taking our punishment and pursuing us. But was there a time in your life where it became like a palpably real thing where you're like, wow, this was for me. 
You know, to be honest, it's it's probably become more so the more I've kind of lived into a more sacramental tradition. So I'm I'm an Anglican, and um, I think that one of the things I love about being an Anglican is is walking to the front of the the sanctuary every Sunday and kneeling down at the at the railing and opening my hands and, and receiving the bread and wine, which is just a, 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 you can smell it, you can taste it, you can see it. Mm. It's a tangible reminder, uh, more than a reminder. It's a, it's a, it's a gift of God's, of God's grace. And, and I, I think that has been, uh, it, it's become more important to me. It's become more central to my faith. One of my colleagues at the seminary where I teach says that communion means that God places himself directly in our hands. So we know exactly where to find him. We don't have to go wondering about what his attitude is toward us because we know in that moment that he is giving himself to us yet again. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's showing us that Jesus Christ, uh, gave his body, gave his blood for our salvation. And so I think, I think that has become more, um, a kind of animating part of my faith, just that, that ritual, that, that weekly reminder that this is who I am. This is who God is. Hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know that there was one kind of aha moment for me. I feel like I'm always needing to be reminded of this. I feel like I'm, I'm often forgetful. And so to have something so, um, palpable, something so touchable, mm-hmm. uh, is, is pretty cool for me yeah. <laughs> if I can put it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's beautiful. So what are, um, and I, I just have a sense I'm in a hope where, I, where we're going to take this conversation and I even want to get into some of the awkwardness of friendships and just like cultivating it. So you identify as a gay celibate man and, um, I, yeah. It, identify as someone who's in a mixed orientation marriage and anyway, we can get even to the nuance of that, but just as someone who experiences sure. same sex attraction, whatever. Um, sure. but what are spiritual friendships? I can kind of get this picture of like care bears in the sky on like clouds, <laughs> but what's that mean to have spiritual friendships? Yeah. Great question. I mean, so the title of the book, Spiritual Friendship, it it actually is not at all my title. I I stole it from this monk from the 12th century. Uh, Aelred is his name, A-E-L-R-E-D, Aelred of Revo Abbey. And he wrote a book with that title, Spiritual Friendship. And basically, he tried to define it as a relationship between two people that is oriented toward Christ. Um, it's, it's based on a shared commitment to Christ and it's based on a desire to help one another grow in their love for Christ. Mm. So he, he defines it. He's borrowing from another earlier philosopher, but he says friendship is agreement in all things, earthly and heavenly. And it's that, it's that shared agreement. It's that, it's that walking in tandem, walking in step with each other. That's Mm. the idea of spiritual friendship. And, I would I would add to that. I don't I don't disagree with any of that. In fact, I'm I'm all about that vision. I want to promote that vision. But I would just say that that is one type of friendship that one can have. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's a problem if we have more casual friendships or you know more acquaintanceships where we we simply enjoy one another's company for for you know a, a game or or a night out at a restaurant or something. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with more casual relationships. Right. But I think a spiritual friendship has that degree of intentionality about we are journeying mm-hmm. together. We are mm-hmm. on the same path. We have the same hopes for our lives. And we want to actually try to help each other along to know and love Christ more and to experience his love for us more. 
Um, so, so it's really, I mean, it, it could be that in our culture, the idea of a, a kind of discipleship relationship or a, or a mutual um, uh, sort of burden-bearing relationship mm-hmm. captures more of the idea. Because I think you're right. The word spiritual has become debased in our mm-hmm. culture. You know, it, it, it doesn't have a lot of weight anymore because people like to talk about being spiritual but not religious, and it's all kind Absolutely. of vague yeah. and be sometimes. But yeah. but for, for, for Aylred and other Christians, it, it's really this idea that this friendship is born along by the Holy Spirit. It's oriented toward Jesus Christ, and it's all about our life in Him. Mm. Yeah. Interesting that it said agreement in all things. I'm like, wow, that's intense. Is it like the goal? Because I'm like, I, Matt and I are covenantly married and that's very yeah. difficult to agree. And then I think of like my closest friends and, and even talking on this podcast already about faithful are the wounds of the friends. So that, that is, that's not the goal. Is it to be like, we are one person? No, that's right. That's right. I think, I think agreement, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and check the original. He originally yeah. wrote it in Latin. I'd, oh. I'd be interested to know what the, uh, yeah. what the original word was, but I think the idea of agreement is it, it there's like a, um, uh, there's a walking together. There's a shared sense of purpose. Atelios. So yeah. you agree on the end game, you agree mm-hmm. on the goal and you, you, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have conflict along the way. Right. But you have this this common purpose, this common vision that's causing you to walk in the same direction. Yeah. I mean, it honestly seems similar to um, to like a, a, a truly good accountability type of relationship where where it's mm. like the goal is to, you know, both of you to have this co-discipleship, to have this reorienting toward God and, and really building each other up into that. It sounds like John 17. Like it just, it sounds like I want them to be one as the father and the son are one, which we've talked on that pot on this podcast mm-hmm. a million times about it. Just, it sounds like God's dream for the church is to be, uh, have this same trajectory, which is oneness in him and sanctification. And like, honestly, when you're talking like, yeah, that's, isn't that the dream? Isn't that the church dream? Right. Right. Well, and it's interesting you say that because there are certain writers who have said that, you know, we have to own up to the fact that we can't be friends with every other Christian. We can't be friends with every other church member. Right. And so there's a certain limitation that we have. I mean, we, we're called to love everyone. We're called to love, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But because we're finite, because there are only so many hours in the day, so much energy that we have, we actually can't form those deep friendships with every other person we go to church with. And so it's almost as though uh, the church itself is made up of little cells of friends, yeah. you know, little, mm-hmm. little pairs of, of relationships where we can actually go deeper uh, than we otherwise could with, with other believers. And I, I find that idea really compelling because I think that sometimes, especially for people like me who grew up in the church, uh, there's a certain amount of guilt that can come with, I, I'm not, I'm not as involved as I could be, or I don't know as many people in the, in the church as I could. Right. And, you know, I think, I think it, it is easy to withdraw and we need to be on guard against that. But I think there, another part of it is simply that we're created beings. And so we yeah. can't be infinite. We can't be all things to all people and we can't be friends with everyone in the church. And that's okay. You know, God, God yeah. made us to, to need these deeper relationships that nourish us in ways that the whole community just can't. Well, and I love that idea of cells on many levels, like a cellular level, but the idea of cells too. We, we've we mentioned how we've started this family dinner thing where we have mm. people every Saturday night at our house and it's getting 
almost too big for its britches. And I talked about, I'm like, we can't sustain well, maybe we can, maybe the Holy Spirit can help us, but like, it feels like around 12 to 15. I mean, 12, wink, wink, look at Jesus. Um, that seems like a solid number to keep in, in a level of community. But you think about that is a cell within the church, but then too, marriage is a cell, but it's not even supposed to only be the marriage cell. Like that's supposed to expand both in fruitfulness of bearing children and then to linking arms with other people to form another cell, which Matt and I are stumbling in our own way to try and figure out how to do that as well. Mm. No, I love that. I love that. And I think that shows that, um, you know, the the church needs these kind of groups in order to be more fully itself. You know, I, I think if you if you come into the church on Sunday morning and, and you're, you're hungering for community that is spiritual, that is oriented around Christ, you know, chances are, unless you end up in a group like that, where you can actually have conversations, you can actually get to know each other at a deeper level, right. you're not going to find that kind of community. So I, I think that's beautiful. Wes, it sounds like you've, you've had a lot of experience and for you, it started out as this, this, this blog that became the spiritual friendship site you know, that was open to more people, but how do you go about that, that cultivation? Let's say you're, you're in a church and you, you, you haven't necessarily had that. How, how did you go about really cultivating that in your life? Mm. That, that's a huge question. And I, I should maybe preface it by saying that I get asked that all the time. You know, people read the blog or they read one of my books and they say, you're casting this really beautiful vision of friendship, but I don't feel like I have that. And I don't know how to go about finding it. Mm. And I think there's, I think there's several ways to think about beginning to try to answer that question. And one of them is, um, you know, I, th- I, I hesitate to draw this parallel cause I think it could be misunderstood, but it's not totally dissimilar from someone who wants a romantic relationship. And, and you think, well, how do you, how do you, how do you find that? And, and one of the answers is you, you can't just engineer it. You can't make yourself fall in love with someone or, or someone fall in love with you. But what you can do is you can put yourself in the way yeah. of relationship. You, you can take steps to make yourself available for uh, relationships. And, um, you know, I, frankly, for me, a lot of my friendships have started with me inviting someone out to coffee or inviting someone out to, you know, a, a game or, or a movie or over to my house for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's something about coming into someone's home and sharing a meal that can, uh, you know, disarm people. And it can, mm-hmm. it can, it can provide the context for conversation that would be deeper than what you would normally have on a Sunday morning, for example, or at the workplace. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's no way that you can guarantee that those kinds of things will give you the kind of friendship that you're wanting. But what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the way of that happening. You're, you're making yourself available for that possibility. Um, another thing I often say to people, there's a wonderful section of C.S. Lewis's essay on friendship, which is in his book, The Four Loves, where he says the first condition of finding friends is to want something other than friends. Mm-hmm. What he means by that is, is, you know, if, if you're the sort of person that says, uh, you know, I just want friendship, I just need friendship, 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 you know. <laughs> You're, you're actually kind of obsessing about something that's actually usually the byproduct of another passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, think about, think about the friendships that you've made. I mean, almost always there's some shared interest or there's mm-hmm. some shared sense of mission or involvement in something, you know, whether it's a club or a, or a, a project, a hobby 
or some kind of involvement at the church. You know, yeah. usually it's our passions for something other than relationships that actually end up giving us the relationships that we're hungry for. Um, it's when we're throwing ourselves into something we enjoy or something that yeah. we're called to. Mm-hmm. We find ourselves, you know, surrounded by other people who have that same calling or that yeah. same hobby or that same passion. And so the relationship can actually sort of be like a vine that grows on the trellis of, you know, the the, the shared thing, whatever yeah. it is. And, and Lewis says, you know, it can be something as as simple as, you know, you, you both like collecting stamps, or it can be something as profound as, you know, you're both involved in the same soup kitchen ministry or something. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 being willing to have that passion and throw yourself into that. Uh, friendship often ends up being the byproduct of that, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts off as this relationship of kind of proximity based on, you know, you're doing the same thing, you exactly. know, with someone else. And then, and then at some point though, it, it comes and it sounds like you were saying this when you say, keep putting yourself in front of, you know, it's a sense of you are making yourself continually vulnerable and, and yep. the sense like you could be rejected by inviting that person out to coffee. They could say, Oh, Hey, no, I don't have the time, you know, but by taking these relationships that we have proximity with, but maybe not a lot of depth and then inviting them or putting yourself out there to, to go a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Right. And being okay. If it doesn't go there, I think that's the thing is people can read neediness like mm. in the sense that it's it's okay to be like I would love to be your friend, but I th- when it turns into you are my life, <laughs> like you everything I have you must provide, then it's really it's idolatry is the word we're not saying right now. Uh, that's underneath all of this. You but complete me. You complete me <laughs> in a friendship. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're even in that, you know, you're focused on the mission, which the ultimate mission to make disciples, make Jesus look awesome, and then underneath that, then it's like, okay, God, I would love to have a friend, but I surrender that to you. That is just a beautiful posture, a humble posture of Jesus that we even see in Gethsemane with him. I'd love for you to pray with me, but I'm not going to force you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, keeping your eyes open for what's already happening organically too. I I mean, my, my housemates came to me a couple weeks ago and they said, how would you feel if we started having this other friend that, that we've gotten to know? over for dinner on Tuesday nights, once Mm. a week. And I said, sure, I think that'd be great. And they said, well, the reason we ask is we feel like it's already beginning to happen. We Mm. feel like we're kind of already having her over a lot more than we used to. And we just want to make it a regular thing. We want to make her a a kind of fixture of our week in that way. And, and, you know, Tuesday may turn into Tuesday and Thursday or, or whatever, but, but it was, it was them kind of noticing that, this relationship seems to be deepening. It seems to be blossoming. Why don't we try to capitalize on that? Why don't we try to, you know, integrate our friend more fully into our rhythms of life? And so I think, I think sometimes I certainly have the tendency to think, Oh, I wonder if going to this conference is going to be where I meet my next best friend or something. Actually, actually actually it's often much more organic than that. It's much more low key than that, where we notice that, Oh, this person is showing up more and more in my prayers, more and more in my, you know, kind of thoughts about the week. And why, mm-hmm. why don't I just take a step and try to, you know, deepen that that's already beginning to flower, to happen. Yeah. I love that. I want to lean a little bit into that vulnerability word that Matt said, um, just in that risk it takes in there. Like I know for me, there can at least feel like an extra risk when I ask a girlfriend to be my friend 
And um, just to get that rejection is definitely possible and has happened where it's been very, very obvious. Like, I don't want to be your friend because of that. Or, you know, the bubble around you, like, I just can't touch you around you because I'm scared I'm going to make you lust or something like that is a horrible feeling. Like there's almost not even a word to describe how intensely terrible that is. That level of depth of rejection to be like, I just want to be your friend. And then you get like stabbed. So have you experienced that forbidden word of terrible? Um, and how do you, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I have experienced that. Maybe not quite in the same way. I mean, I, I, I do notice in myself often it feels like there's an asymmetrical level of of desire or neediness you know like Mm. i'm i'm wanting to hang out with this person you know five nights a week and and they're they're not comfortable with that level of of commitment and And you feel their face get red (laughs) yeah Yeah. i've I've been through that a lot in my life and I, i think i i've come to think that part of celibacy for me is not simply giving up a sexual relationship, but it's also giving up this idea that I have the right to an extremely intimate non-sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I say that, I say that humbly and I say that tentatively because I'm very much still in process on all this. And right. it's currently something I'm talking a lot with my spiritual director about and, mm-hmm. you know, praying a lot about, but, but I, I'm, I'm struck by this idea that, that when you choose a life of, of sexual abstinence, at least for me, you're not just choosing not to go to bed with someone, but you're also choosing a kind of emotional chastity. You're, mm. you're, you're choosing a life that uh, is surrendering not just uh, you know physical intimacy, but you're even surrendering a certain amount of emotional intimacy, or at least you're surrendering the idea that, that someone owes you that or that, mm. or that God owes you that. Um, and, and I, I, I don't say that because I've mastered that. I am saying that cause I'm very much in process on this. Mm-hmm. One of my, one of my good friends in this whole journey, I'm sure you've, you've read a lot of her stuff is Eve Tushnet, the mm-hmm. writer Eve Tushnet. And Eve wrote a blog post that has resonated with me for years where she talked about how many of us who are giving up, um, gay sex for, for our lives of discipleship, we find ourselves still wanting to come first for someone. We, we want, we want to be first in someone else's life and we want someone else to be first in our affections. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think mixed orientation marriage is a, is a mm-hmm. good example of how someone with uh, same sex desire can commit to being first for someone and, and vice versa. But I think that for those of us who are celibate, um, you know, we, we really, we really surrender that to the Lord. Now he may give it back to us in the form mm. of a, of a very, very close friendship where, where we are basically like wedded brothers or something like this, but it, but it may be something that we actually give up in, as we follow Christ. It's, and it's not that we don't have friends. It's not that we don't have intimacy, but we give up this idea that I have to have the one other person who, whose time I must, you know, dominate, whose, yep. whose emotional life I must, you know, be, be at the center of. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I find that very painful. I mean, I, I this is a mm-hmm. very live question for me. Yeah. How does one live as a, as a celibate person in that space? Mm-hmm. But I think that's, that's where I'm coming back to these days. Yeah. That sentence you said, that surrendering of, I have to be 
Like that just feels like a theme of this whole episode is just like, I just picture us opening up our hands and being like, Jesus, not my will, but yours. This is incredibly painful, but I surrender it to you. And I can't help but think of, you know, similarly, just I think of some of my female friends in marriages that are extremely tough and the whole kit and caboodle is very painful. And I see them you know, emotionally just shredded in a lot of ways. And they're doing that same hand motion. Like, God, I want this, but I'm giving up this desire and it's not without tears and maybe like sweating blood. I don't know if anyone's gotten there, but it, it really, everything you're saying is so like this heartbeat of the gospel and of surrender. So just thank you for sharing this and just giving us like such a cut cutting open of yourself, but really cutting open of Jesus and his, like, I, you're number one to me, which that makes me, I don't know. That can just make me weep, but just like, I choose you every day. Even that Romans eight that you quoted, like I desire to be with you when you are looking for someone's eye to catch in the room, like look for mine. I am looking for you. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting. That's where Eve ends that wonderful blog post. She says, even if there's not one other human being that you come first for, you must remember Christ and you must remember that Christ gave his life for you. I mean, one of the most beautiful parts of the New Testament to me is when Paul in Galatians chapter two uses the singular, uh, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. Uh, you know, there, there's, something really beautiful about that, the way he individualizes the love of Christ there. So good. So Wes, for those who are listening and um, I guess what's like an exhortation you have from the church, just coming from this very beautiful, vulnerable place that you're, you're sharing, like what's, what's your like cry for the church as you're living in this space, as we're all living in this space. And if we know what's good for us, we're going to let the gospel rip us apart and build us back up in this (laughs) same space. But what would be an exhortation that you have for the church? Hmm. My project the last several years has been trying to urge the church to remember that love is such a multifaceted thing. And we don't have to denigrate certain forms of love and celebrate others, we can actually celebrate all the forms of love that God has given us. So I, I grew up in a, in a church environment where really the only kind of love that, that ever got any kind of airtime was the love of marriage. And marriage was sort of held out as the finish line for someone like me. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I can just arrive there, uh, you know, that will be a kind of marker that I've spiritually matured, that I've taken on the responsibilities of adulthood, that I've, Ugh. you know, found a place to, to serve and to be sanctified. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I still believe a lot of that. I still think marriage is sanctifying. Mm-hmm. I still think it is a lovely parable of the way Christ loves the church. I don't, I don't want to denigrate marriage at all, but I think that when I think about all the opportunities that were lost to celebrate other kinds of life, you know, sing- singleness, um, the vocations that come along with singleness, you know, being being free to serve in missions that you wouldn't be free to serve mm-hmm. in if you're a parent, um, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I think my exhortation to the church would be let's celebrate all the forms of love, all the callings that God has given us. Um, as you know, Lori, you know, my, my understanding of what scripture teaches is that 
God gave sexual intimacy to be uh, uniquely uh, there for husband and wife. It's, yeah. it's not to be enjoyed by anyone who isn't married yeah. in God's best design for human flourishing. Right. But that does not mean that God doesn't want other people to learn to love and to be sanctified in those lives of love. And mm-hmm. so I would just say, yes, let's celebrate marriage. Let's yep. celebrate parenting. But let's mm-hmm. also celebrate, um, you know, my two great aunts who lived together their whole lives without getting married and they shared a home together. Aww. Let's celebrate that. <laughs> let's celebrate the fact that I, as a single man, currently share a home with a married couple and their daughter. And, yeah. and what a sense of intentional community that is. I mean, let's let's not sell ourselves short by only focusing on one of the callings that God has given to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wes. This has been a really rich conversation and um, just so precious to continue the friendship conversation, which is really the gospel conversation. So just thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been my honor. I love what you guys are doing and I wish you well. Thank you. So for all of you listeners, our question of the week for next week, if you want to get in on this and have us mention your name and some thoughts that you have, which just thank you to all of you who responded. Um, how If you guys had a word for the year, it, we, we did that in January. How are you doing on it? We're going to do a little checkup. And or if you had a goal for the year, like I wanted to read a hundred million books this year, how's the hundred million doing? Um, and we we're actually we're having Jackie Hill Perry on the podcast next week, so we're going to be talking more about some of this world and really uh, I I want to I don't know I, I'm praying about what questions to ask, so I'm really excited to to talk with her. Um, but for those of you who answered the call last week uh, to become a supporter. If you like what you hear, if this podcast has blessed you in any way, if you would consider making it happen, um, we would really appreciate it. Any new donor of $20 a month or more, again, thank you to those of you who answered the call last week. Uh, We will send you a gospel addict bracelet, which what's a gospel addict, Lori? Thank you for asking, Lori. You're welcome. Uh, It's a gospel addict is someone who knows their daily desperate need for a savior and so it's it's kind of scary because it really holds me accountable when I wear it and I go out in public and I'm like you you gotta own this if someone asks you you gotta know what you're saying so someone who knows their daily desperate need for a savior so thanks 20 bucks a month or more new donors we appreciate it or could you all just share this podcast if it's blessed you um, just share it with someone we we love interacting with you all so thanks so much for joining us this week for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast we will see you next week Remember that one time I gave you a bread sandwich and you ate it? <laughs> After our There's you- a story there. So we were we were driving down to my my brother's house in July and Lori makes sandwiches for for the road and so yes. she hands a you know, a peanut butter and jelly to Gwen. She starts munching on one, and she hand, I'm like, "Is there another one? Can I? I'm a little hungry." I'm like, yeah. "Yes, she's dear, like, of here, course. I would never like, neglect you, you." And so I'm like, I take a bite. I'm like, "Wow, that was like all bread." And I look at it. And no, no, it's no, like, no, no. You ask first. You're like, "Is this honey or is this jam?" I'm oh, like, I say, "Oh, I've learned my yeah, lesson, it's honey. It's, she, it's peanut butter jam. and honey is yeah, not no. not, not like, for me." But I'm like, "Wow, that that bite was like all bread." just wait just wait for it it's like a donut then i i look at it and it's like the bread just like flops open and i'm like 
It is all bread. What is it? There's nothing between there is, the bread. There is literally, this is not a sandwich. It's two slices of bread. Also, there was nothing else in the bag. There was no more peanut butter or jelly Aww. to be had. So Yeah. So I had a bread sandwich. You didn't finish eating it. Yeah, I did. You did? It was two pieces of bread. It was better than nothing. Yep. Man shall yep. not live on it. Unless yep. you do. Then you do. 